morning we'll be looking at Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 46, seeing Mary's song, her praise, her prayer to the Lord in light of what the Lord has done in and through her. There we read, and Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones. He has exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and then returned to her home. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word, he may be seated. This month, as you know, is filled with everything Christmas-related. It's the sights and the sounds and the smells of the season. And one of the best parts is the music, which you may now listen to. Before Thanksgiving, that is a crime against humanity, but now you are free to listen to as much Christmas music as you would like. And it's the only time of year where everyone is listening to the same music. No matter if you turn on the radio or turn on the TV or go to the stores or go out to eat, you're going to hear the same songs, the same music, jingle bells. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Oh, holy night, angels we have heard on high. And oh, so many more wonderful songs and also some not so wonderful songs. And yet it wouldn't be Christmas without it, would it? Think about what this time of year would be like without Christmas music. We would say that an essential part is truly missing. Indeed, it is the music that sets the scene. Indeed, the atmosphere of the holidays. Last night we went to see some lights and obviously we put on Christmas music as we did so because, well... Something would be missing, right, if we didn't have those wonderful songs and those hymns. That's why we're so grateful for the the work of our our choir at this time of year, as we are able to listen like we did this morning to a a wonderful anthem. It helps us to, to lift our hearts and our minds and have our minds set on that which is so pertinent to this year. And so we're thankful for music. It's one of God's Greatest gifts to us as his people. This morning I want us to look at a Christmas song. Perhaps one that is not as well known as the ones previously mentioned. And yet I would say to you it should be. It's the song of our Lord's mother. The song of Mary. A song of praise and of glory to God of this poor peasant woman that was chosen to be the bearer of our Lord. And through it, we can not only identify with her, 
but more importantly, we can join with her in the same praise to our same God and to our same Savior. And so we want to look at this song in two points this morning, magnifying the Lord and humbling ourselves. First, magnifying the Lord. Oftentimes, musicians are asked what inspired you to to write the songs in which they have written. Where does this song or where do these songs come from? What is the origin? What is the, the root? Well, in this case, we know the reason. In fact, we, we know the scene well. We've heard it often. What has led Mary to, to sing forth this praise, to offer up this prayer? It's because the angel Gabriel has come to her. This woman who was a virgin that was betrothed to be married to her fiancé, Joseph. And this angel comes and brings this stark and startling message of the coming of the Messiah. And he tells her, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He'll be great and will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary is rightly startled. She's troubled. She's confused, no doubt, by this announcement. And she asks, how will this happen since I am a virgin? Again, the angel says that the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy the Son of God. And then adds those famous words that we ought not forget. For nothing is impossible with God. Yes, there is much that is left unknown, that is left to faith and trust in God who makes impossible things possible through His might and through His power. And indeed, she is going to be with child through this miraculous conception. And that is all that she knows. That is all that she is given. And yet, what is amazing about this young woman is that she does not doubt. She does not disbelieve. She asks a question. One question. If it was us, we would have millions of questions. But she simply asks, how can this be? And the angel gives her not everything, but as much as she needs to know. Enough for her to believe, enough for her to trust, enough for her to obey. And that is oftentimes the case, isn't it? The Lord never reveals all of our plans, does he? But he always reveals enough for the next step of obedience. Oftentimes we want the the 50-year plan, don't we? But God says, no, I give you enough for today. The daily bread, the daily manna. You need not worry about tomorrow, Jesus, in fact, says. For what I give for you today is sufficient. Now, I'm by no means... A mountain climber. But once upon a time in the yester year, 
I did climb Mount Shasta in northern California, which is quite a a large mountain. It's over 14,000 feet. Now, should have I? Probably not. And uh, yet, at that time, I was young and perhaps dumb and thought, you know what, this is something that I can do. And I remember halfway through it, questioning that greatly, (laughs) especially as I saw how much further I needed to go and how steep the climb was. But when I kept my head down on the next step, and then the next step, I was able to keep going. And that is life, isn't it? What lies ahead is insurmountable at times. But when we take the next step that the Lord provides through trust of Him, through obedience to that which He has given, the Lord allows us and works through us and does immeasurably immeasurably more than we think that we can do, all by His grace and all by the strength that He provides. There was a teacher assistant here at the school that actually has returned now to her native country of India. And if you ever asked her how she was doing, she always had the same response, by the grace. And you would ask her how her day was going just so that you could hear her say in her wonderful Indian accent, by the grace. And also so that you would be reminded, yes, it is by the grace of God. Otherwise, we would be hopeless. We would be lost. But with the grace of God, we have a hope. We have a future. It's not always an easy road, is it, by any means, but a road where the Lord will supply our every step of the way. And that is surely true of Mary. What the Lord was calling her to do was indeed far beyond that which she was capable And yet, you notice the final response to this announcement by this angel, Gabriel. She simply says, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be according to your word. You hear the trust, the simple childlike faith of Mary. And from this trust, and from this faith, comes this beautiful song of praise and glory to God. And I want you to admire this song. I want you to ponder upon it. I want you to meditate on it this morning and perhaps put it as a part of your meditation this Christmas season. Because the amazing thing, it comes from a teenage girl, a lowly, humble, peasant girl. And yet it is a beautiful song of praise. Through it, we learn how to praise God and and to pray to Him. And so I want you to see several aspects of it this morning. First is the preeminence of God. You might know this song as the Magnificat, which comes from the, the first word in the Latin translation, which is Magnificat, which is translated magnify. And you notice that's how it begins. Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord. In other words, God, I want to magnify you. 
children, you can think of it as a magnifying glass. When you use a magnifying glass, what are you doing? You're, you're making something big. You're making something great. Oftentimes, you're making something bigger than it actually is. But in this case, we cannot make God bigger than he actually is because he is the great, magnificent one. He is the eternal, infinite God. We can't make him any larger than he actually already is. And therefore, we are just giving to him that which is worthy of him, praising him as we ought for who he is. And that's what Mary says. I want to make much of you, O Lord. I want to make you large. I want to make you great in my life and in this world. That is true worship, isn't it? It's worth-ship. God is worthy of our praise because of who he is and because of what he has done. And that is exactly what Mary does. First, for who he is. Look at the character or the characteristics of God that she highlights. She speaks of the mindfulness of God in verse 48. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. Verse 49, the, the might of God, for he who is mighty has done great things for me. The holiness of God, holy is his name. Verse 54, the remembrance he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. He speaks of that mercy of God. Think about those things. Mary knows her God, doesn't she? Doesn't just know about him, but knows him. How his character is applied to her life, to her situation, to redemption, to the revelation, to Israel, to the fathers, to the covenants. How God has directly applied all of these things to this situation. But she does not stop there. She not only exalts in God, but exalts in the work of God. Verse 49, he has done great things. Verse 51, he has shown strength. He has scattered the proud. Verse 52, he has brought down the mighty. Verse 53, he has filled the hungry with good things. He has sent away the rich empty. Verse 54, he has helped Verse 54, he has spoken. You see the theme throughout all of this. It's about God, isn't it? In fact, the repeated frame is he, 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 he. That is Godward praise, isn't it? Looking at God alone and what he has done. Magnifying God, making much of him. It's in many ways so contrasted to, to our songs and oftentimes to our prayers Mary is he-centered, not me-centered. And that needs to be stated. Perhaps in our generation more than others. Where we seem to be so obsessed with ourselves. Me, me, me. Love of self. We naturally love ourselves. We put ourselves first. And yet that is antithetical to true praise and to true prayer. Which is Godward. Now Mary does include herself in this, says he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. 
For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. But you notice it's in light of who he is. Again, it is in the light of what he has done, not what she has done. And so all of this is almost overwhelming to her. My soul, all that is within me magnifies you. Mary's lost, in a sense, in the greatness and the grandeur of God. Has that ever happened to you? Do you ever stop and, and pause and just meditate on who your God truly is? Have you ever taken an aspect of God's character like Mary does? Perhaps taken the catechism where we confess that God is infinite, eternal, unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth, and taken just one of those, one of those characteristics, and perhaps defined it and thought about it and seen how it has been displayed so richly in your life. And in this last week, and even in that day, I tell you, if you do that, it will naturally lead you to to praise and to thankfulness and to, to gratitude. And in the light of it, my cares, my concerns, my wants, and even my desires seem pretty small and oftentimes quite insignificant. At times, they even are quite petty. Yes, indeed, God loves to hear our supplications and our requests, but they should never be at the expense of praise and of thanksgiving. And we should not just skim over that acronym ACTS, the the A and the C and the T, the adoration, the confession, and the thanksgiving, just to get to the S, to the supplication, as if that was the, the main part, the reason why we pray. No, is God here for us? Or are we here for God? What is our worldview? We are His servants, not He ours. And so what is it that Mary asks for? Is there anything? Is one thing that she asks for herself? When we read through this entire praise and through this entire prayer, we we see her not requesting one thing. It's missing, isn't it? It's not there. It's all of God. And surely it's a a pattern that we can learn from of praise to our God. And this isn't just sloppy praise, not just I want to praise you lyrics. No, this is line after line of Scripture. And remember, Mary's Scripture was the Old Testament. We don't have time to go into all of this, but if you have a study Bible, you'll see cross-reference after cross-reference to other scriptures, that Mary is quoting scripture. She uses much of Hannah's prayer, another woman in the Old Testament, another barren woman who was given a child. She quotes Job and the Psalms and Isaiah and Zephaniah even, Ezekiel. Could you quote anything from Ezekiel? I don't know that I could. Mary does. And you see her weaving all of this scripture together, not in some sort of robotic recitation of it, but obviously because she had been meditating on it. You could even perhaps say that she's been 
marinating in the scriptures so that when she goes to pray and to sing, it's biblical language that that comes out. And that is just a, a wonderful tip for you as you do your devotions in the morning. Maybe just take one phrase from it and take it with you. So that when you put that Bible away and, and put it down, you're, you're not just putting it out of sight and out of mind. No, you're, you're taking a, a portion of Scripture with you for the rest of that day to meditate, to, to think upon, to, to praise God of prayer. I think if you do that more often, you'll, you'll notice that biblical language coming into your speech, into your thoughts, into your prayers, into your praise. Again, as she thinks about what the Lord is going to have her to do, She doesn't understand it all, does she? But she has confidence. Why does she have confidence? Because of what God has said. Because God has been faithful. Because God has been merciful and mighty all throughout the past. Not only her past, but Israel's past as she thinks through the revelation of God. Mary's confident that he'll continue to do so today and in the future. In the light of the fulfillment of all that God has promised, her confidence in God is because of her confidence in God's word. That God has given her enough reason to believe and to trust, both today as well as the future. And that is not just true for the mother of our Lord, is it? It's true for us as well. God tells us to believe. We're never to believe just by blind faith or a leap of faith. No, we believe in the full knowledge of what he has revealed in his character and in his scriptures. Every word that he has fulfilled, every word that he has given. And we can say that we have even more reason to believe and more reason to trust than Mary did, right? Did she know all of God's plan? No. Do we know more of God's plan in the light of Christ? Absolutely. And therefore, we have that much more reason to believe And trust, she saw dimly. But in that dim light, she fully trusted, didn't she? How much more have we been given? We often say that Mary is blessed. I think Mary would say, no, you are blessed. Because of what Christ has done. Because of what has been known to you and revealed to you. And in such knowledge, ought we not have the same amount of zeal as Mary to praise and to magnify our God. Well, second, not only should it magnify our God, but it should humble us, humble ourselves. Notice what Mary's response. She is no doubt overwhelmed. Not in fear, anxiety, but that the Lord would regard her. As she says in verse 46 and onwards, that he has looked, he has regarded, he's been mindful of the humble, and the low estate of his servant. Actually, it could even be translated slave. Mary has picked up a theme that is present throughout the scriptures, hasn't she? That the chosen people, the servants of the Lord, are always the most unlikely ones. That is the way of the Lord's working. It's the way of the Lord's dealing. You think of Abram called out of the Ur of Chaldees, leaving behind his people, even his gods and land, and choosing Isaac over Ishmael, Jacob 
over Esau, Joseph over all of his brothers, David forgotten by his own father out in the the sheep pens, but yet not forgotten by God. It's not just true of men, it's true of women as well. You think about the lineage of Christ and we read of such women as Tamar and Ruth and Rahab. Not one of them would we naturally say, well, surely that's the one that Christ will come from. No, they are the least likely. And what is true of individuals was true of the nation of Israel as a whole. It says in Deuteronomy chapter 7, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all people. God has a reoccurring theme, doesn't he, throughout Scripture It is the least likely candidates that is chosen. Could even say the least qualified applicants with the most non-impressive resume that the Lord oftentimes uses. So then it should not be surprising that the Lord chose this woman to be the bearer of our Lord. as someone that we would not have picked Surely not someone that we would have chosen or would have thought that this would be the mother of our Lord. I know that we've grown accustomed to seeing Mary in nativity scenes and in pageants. And oftentimes we display her in quite a a regal setting. She always looks amazingly put together and remarkably unexhausted for someone that has just had a baby. Usually dressed in beautiful garments almost fit for a queen. And yet Mary was a peasant, a poor peasant from a poor family. As mentioned, all accounts, a a teenager from Galilee and and not Judea. From Nazareth, a, a town that Nathaniel would later say, can anything good come from Nazareth? Betrothed to a carpenter, a simple day laborer. And indeed, they were poor from the outskirts of nowhere, without much of a hope of a future. It would not be the top pick from a human standpoint, would it? And yet Mary and Joseph were chosen by God. And when chosen, they were not immediately put into a different social status, were they? They were not showered with untold riches. They were poor and remained as poor peasants, so much so that they couldn't even find a place for this child to be born except in a stable surrounded by animals. So when Mary says, you have regarded the lowly estate of your slave, she's not talking in hyperbole or false moderation. It's the true state of her affairs. But perhaps what is even more stunning is not her physical circumstances, but her spiritual circumstances. That God chose her to do such a task because of this humble nature, this simple childlike faith that in fact she, though was humbled, would be exalted by God, blessed by God. Not by herself or in and of herself, but again because God was making her great, not herself. And how, how easily she could have, right? 
how easily she could have taken this announcement from the angel that she was the one, the chosen one, and therefore gotten very full of herself, perhaps even gone on a a tour around Judea, perhaps done some interviews or wrote an autobiography. But none of that was the case, was it? She was content being a servant of the Lord. Behold, I am a servant of the Lord, she says, according to your word. Do that which you have said. And how foolish it would have been for her to exalt herself, for her to be proud in thought, because she says and knows, verse 51, he scatters the proud. For her to be mighty in and of herself, because in verse 52, he's brought down the mighty from their thrones. To be rich in oneself, because in verse 53 it says he has sent the rich away empty. No, Mary knows that the Lord is mindful of the humble and the lowly and the meek and even the hungry. And he has shown forth his might and his strength for them. He shows mercy to those that, that fear him, that fear God. And the same is true, not just for the mother of our Lord, the same is true for us as we sit here this morning, as we set our minds on the coming of Christ. Has Christ come because we are the greatest? Because we are the most beautiful? Because we are the most mighty? No, he came into the world, this fallen world, to come and rescue sinners, to save wretched to save us from our sin and our brokenness. And he did so by taking our flesh, experiencing the worst of humanity, namely ourselves, all for his flesh to be ripped and his blood to be spilt, all to redeem us. As Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians, God has chosen the foolish. God has chosen the weak. God has chosen the low and the despised, the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no one might boast in the presence of God. Then he goes on to say, let the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. You want a reason to boast? You boast in God, not in ourselves. Because in ourselves we have nothing. Nothing that we can claim. Nothing that we can write out as a, as a resume of why God would love us, why God would redeem us, why God would give us grace and mercy, why he would surely come to save the likes of us. But yet, in Christ, we have everything. In Christ, we can say with Mary, he has looked upon the humble estate his servant. With Mary, we can say, he who is mighty has done great things for me. He has filled the hungry with good things. What grace and what mercy we have received. And he's done so for the least of these. And therefore, be not puffed up. As the prophet Micah says, He has told you, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires to do justice, to love kindness, 
and to walk humbly with your God. J.C. Ryle says a man has the same measure of Christianity as he does humility. Meaning your true understanding of Christianity is the measure or is measured by your humility. And that's a convicting word, isn't it? Because we can know much about Christ. We can know much about Christianity. But unless that knowledge has seeped down all the way into our hearts, will it find its true roots in a true humility of who we are in the light of who God is? See, a proud Christian doesn't understand much of Christ or Christianity. But a humble Christian understands the true nature of what it means to be a Christ-like follower. And so in Mary, we have a simple servant chosen to a blessed task. And under her tutelage, she raised the greatest of all servants, the one that was born Lord of all and yet born in a cattle stall, who could have sat on a golden throne to be worshipped and be praised, to be served, and yet he said he came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for all. And so this Christmas season, it is appropriate, it's appropriate in every season to join with Mary in making much of him, in magnifying our Lord, making little of ourselves, because he will exalt those of humble estate and call us blessed. Indeed, this season is filled with wonderful music. And I hope and pray the song of Mary would be on your heart and upon your mind. That this would be the song of all of the redeemed. Because surely blessed is the mother of our Lord, but blessed is all who can, by the grace of God, sing with her. The same song that she sings. To say, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Amen. Join me in prayer. Lord, our desire this morning is to indeed join in that chorus, to join in that song, to make much of you, to be reminded of who you are as the great God of heaven and earth. Lord, we cannot make you greater than you already are. Lord, you are infinite in all of your ways and glorious. But Lord, would our small, feeble voices lend up praise to you by the power of the Holy Spirit? Would you give us those thoughts that are great and that are grand of you, our God? And as a result, O oh Lord, would it put us in our right perspective that we are mere servants, humble slaves of you, our great God. And what a glory, what a joy it is to bow our knee before you, to serve you all of our days, to be faithful servants of the most high God that came to save and redeem the likes of us. And Lord, would we go forth this day, this season, as those servants that would serve our spouses, that would serve our families, that would serve our community, that would serve our church, in a way that you would gain all the glory and praise, not only now, but for all eternity, we ask in Christ's name.